Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Joe. I do want to update you, by the way, on the Umbrella Chronicles. And for those of you who are unaware of the Umbrella Chronicles, somewhat specific New York City thing. Not entirely a New York City specific thing, but it is somewhat New York City specific, which is you do a lot of walking here, right? Therefore, you check the forecast, whatever it is, man say it's going to rain, you need to get an umbrella. Okay, cool. But if I were to ask you right now, where do you go to get an umbrella? Where do you go? Right? Like, there's not, like, the umbrella store. So if you need an umbrella, where do you go to get an umbrella? Right. Not really that simple. Now, the thing that happens typically, though, um, if you are in a car place, you drive around in your car, and maybe you're going to pass by the Target or whatever it is, whatever spot happens to be, you go in there and get your umbrella problem solved, right? However, I don't have a car here. I had to give her back. Anyway, I don't have a car here. So subsequently, as a result of not having a car here, um, I'm walking. So that means you got to try to find the uh, the umbrella while you're on foot. And I had quite a voice trying to find one. And I did a whole thing on this here podcast where I talked about the difficulties with the umbrella. I'll be damned if the next time it rained, I looked up and I was like, all right, where am I supposed to go to get an umbrella? All right. So I got an umbrella. I don't remember where I got the umbrella from. Oh, I think I ordered it off of Amazon. Right. So I ordered one, right? Like I got a hint that it was about to be some rain problems. See, shit, it's supposed to rain tomorrow. Anyway, I got a little indication there's going to be some rain problems. So I got an umbrella and I didn't really wind up needing the umbrella um, on the day that I got it. And by the way, I got it and I left it at home the day it rained. Which then put me right back into the place of the umbrella problem. So anyway, I got the umbrella, and I got to admit, it looked a lot like the umbrella I got from CVS the other day, which is effectively no better than, like, buying a newspaper. Right? That's all it was. So I've got this untested, unproven umbrella, and it's supposed to rain tomorrow. How many times do you think I'm going to have to come back here on this damn podcast and tell you some story about trying to find an umbrella seat? And just so you know, because I understand that these are not the most exciting stories, I'm sure there are other stories of my life that you would love for me to tell you, but you know damn well I'm not going to do that. Um, however, I just try to give you like little, little bit of slice of life type things from this year. This is a New York thing. As I've told you, it's different. It's It's... It's a lot going on here. One thing that is very interesting about New York and, I mean, different in a way or whatever from any place I've ever been, it's just people out, like on the street talking loud. You understand what I'm saying? Like, there's always people on the streets talking loud. I don't, and, and, and this is the thing. I think what happens is, you live in New York, so you become so conditioned to not listen to what other people are doing that all of a sudden you just decide it don't matter, right? And I've known this for a long time, but it's still interesting just being in the neighborhood and just walking. And, I mean, it'd be loud talking about, like, important stuff. People have emotional discussions on the street here that you just don't see in other places. And maybe it's because in other places you can just take it to the car. But, like, when it's time to talk, damn it, they talk here. Um, when I first got here, I was doing corporate housing over on the Upper West Side, man, and I saw these two women in a romantic squabble, and they seemed to be about, like, 18 or 19 years old, both of them. And 
I was kind of getting the vibe off of one of them that like her mama didn't know how she was living. You know what I mean? It just seemed like there was a whole lot that was going on. And man, I mean, they were having it out. And one of them was crying and like pointing and stomping her feet. But yo, it's not like for most people who live in this city, they got more privacy on the street among strangers than they do wherever it is that they live. And my man Rick asked if that was a tantrum. No, it wasn't a tantrum. It was like, I mean, it was, man, I don't know. I just had to try to keep this moving. But, you know, people be living deep in their spots. Ain't a whole lot of people that's got their own spot. I mean, it's, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not like you like, oh, my gosh, a unicorn. You live by yourself. But, you know, it's a lot of people living on top of each other. Like the notion of privacy here for people, I can't imagine what it is, you know, I, I grew, like, I, I feel like, by the way, this is the level of privilege that I don't think people think about, which is the privilege of living by yourself. Right. So in that extends in other ways. So we could look at it when you are a child, the privilege of having your own room. Right. There's a whole lot of people that grew up and don't know nothing about no notion of having their own room, right? Like the privilege of having your own room. Like that's that's a that's a real thing. There's a whole lot of people that did not grow up with that. Right? There's a whole lot of people that grew up perpetually with people all up in their space. And you know what I think those people grow up to become? People talking loud on the street in New York City. Like that's who I think they are. Like you think about like just the generality of the New York culture of just standing around. They'd be out in front of stuff, right? Just out at the park, just like out in front of the building. And look, man, it ain't like New York City, the only place that got parks. The only place I got, you know, like you have the option in all these other cities to just be like all up in front of your crib. And you do see people who wind up doing it, don't get me wrong. But I imagine that if I lived in a two-bedroom apartment with Four other people. I would probably want to hang out in front of the building from time to time, too. Just a thought. And I wonder how much of a disconnect that causes with the pioneers that live around these parts, right? Because pioneers, you know, one thing the pioneers are not accustomed to is people just being outside. They don't really, they don't really know nothing about that. That there's people just being outside life. They don't. It makes them very, very uncomfortable. They like to call the police and ask for the people who are outside to go back inside. So me and my brother were out once, and we were um, at this restaurant somewhere off St. Nick, and it was very interesting because you looked at the block. Block had four buildings. Three of them had been redone, and then there was a fourth with a bunch of people in front of it. Now, in these redone buildings, I feel like everybody probably got their own room. Like, that's just a guess. Everybody got their own room. I'm not sure them cats that's out in front of the building, by the way, who were wearing jackets in June because New York. Um, I don't feel like they was about to go inside, shut the door, and get some peace and quiet. Just not the vibe I get. So that's the thing. No, but like habitation stuff in New York is like, I mean, when you think about those things, they're very, very interesting. Like the notion of like living with your woman or your man, depending upon what it is you do or who you are. Completely different thing here, right? It is not the indicator of love that it would be in other places. Why? 
Because ain't that many places to live here, bro. Ain't that many places to live. Like, I almost feel like in New York, for a lot of people, it's like, if you're not willing to go half on this rent, then I don't understand why we're having sex. Because, um, hey, man, it's hard life's up here, man. Hard life, hard times. <laughs> you know, like I was talking to my homeboy about this once. Yeah, I had a woman that lived in the northeastern city, and he said something about how she lived with her boyfriend. And I was like, oh, damn, I must be serious. He was like, nah, 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 nah. The rent was just high. You know what I'm saying? He's like, look, you know, here, if y'all go together, y'all live together. Unless you got, uh, well, basically, it almost becomes like if y'all go together, y'all live together, especially if, like, these are the conditions after you've moved beyond that point in life of, like, having sex with other people in the house. And it's not to say that you ever get past the point where you're willing to have sex with other people in the house. Like, I mean, sometimes it's just kind of what it is. But that, like, having sex and you got a roommate thing, it doesn't help, right? We agree. It doesn't help. And like, if you got a roommate and that roommate got a roommate, shall we say, and that roommate always coming all up in the uh, in and out the spot, that'll create a unfortunate situation with you and who your roommate is. So all of these things basically push to an equilibrium condition of people living together who probably shouldn't do that. Basically because it's a little bit uncomfortable to have sex with somebody else living in the house. And also, I guess, becomes a little tricky if y'all both want to have sex with somebody in the house. Like, I ain't had nobody slept in the same, like, unit as me in that way in a long time. Uh, but, like, if y'all both bringing people through, like, what you going to do? Leave them both on the couch with each other to talk? So, uh, it's your first time here? You know what I'm saying? Anyway, I see somebody in the chat saying that the only places uh, in New York that are still cheap are East New York and Brownsville. Uh, also, I see somebody saying one bedroom in New York, 1800 plus in most areas. Like, I don't know what that Brooklyn talking about, but uh, if you talk about Manhattan, you talk about 1800 plus, you need to be talking about like 1800 plus plus. Like if Manhattan was a restaurant on Yelp, I don't know how many dollar signs that bad boy would have. No, man, it's pricey. It's pricey. It's, and here's, it's just, there are certain flaws in this real estate market here, certainly. And one of the flaws of the real estate market in New York that's developing is I think they're building too many luxury units. And it's not going to be like, I feel like the term affordable housing is kind of overused in a way. Um, because I think what people are like deeming affordable housing in that way is normally cheaper than what I'm talking about here. Like, I don't even know how much like upper middle class housing is going to be. Cause everybody's trying to get the maximum return on this construction and they figured a way they can get the return on the construction in that way. Hey, uh, everybody got the same idea, basically. Like that, that's, that's, that's what it comes down to. Like they tell me, Harlem, after Prince died, you go outside and a number of Prince t-shirts. Everybody got Prince t-shirts. Somebody need to be selling something different. Everybody had Prince T-shirts. Like on the real, you probably need to be out there with a Morris Day T-shirt because yeah, people are looking for Prince T-shirts, but they'll scoop a Morris Day T-shirt while they out, right? Like you need to come up with something else. Everybody out here trying to sell the same thing, man. Everybody trying to sell the same fly ass spot, and they change the charging the same fly ass prices. And so if you're not at a place where you can afford a fly ass price, what you supposed to do? Right? Like New York certainly has that problem. But the issue is, hey, man, this place got a waiting list. 
Like, I think occupancy in New York is consistently at 97%. Like, this bad boy has a waiting list. Oh, you're not trying to pay it? It's cool. Somebody is. And they be right around the corner, ready to pay it, man. Ready to pay. So it's just like, hey, I get it. But if you make the decision that you want to live in New York City, it's going to hit you. Now, you can go live kind of far out. You know, like you can go live in Queens. Queens getting kind of hot, too. But, you know, you can go out to Queens or, like, if you really buy it, you can go to, like, Staten Island or something. You can live in the Bronx, right? I don't really understand how the Bronx works, but you can do that. But anyway, I mean, you can go do those things if you want and if you're willing to make the hikes that it takes to, like, get into Manhattan and Manhattan's what you want to do or whatever. You can, but the decision has been made. This bad boy costs. Like, I don't know if I necessarily buy into this notion of, like, New York is the greatest city in the world. Like, it's cool. I mean, everything got its charms. Um, This is certainly cool. But whether you believe that New York City is the greatest city in the world does not change the fact that other people think it's the greatest city in the world. Therefore, they are willing to pay extra to live in this city. Like, one thing I do think that this also, I've said that like five times, but another thing that I think that gets lost in this for people is, yeah, it costs a grip to live here, and people make the decision that they're just not going to pay the prices. They do. But there's a whole lot of people who absolutely pay the prices strictly because they love it here that much. They really, really do. Like, so when you leave New York, and, like, when you're out of the city and you meet people who are from New York, you get, like, that asshole New York that tells you how dope it is all the time, right? So when you're here, I do find one thing that you come across is a much more, like, organic, I just really like it here sort of thing, right? Like, you, you feel like when people talk about how much they love New York, there's a charm to it. Like, they talk about when, when the people who are here because they don't have anybody to impress – they talking about loving New York in the way that you love your little hometown, whatever your hometown happens to be. Like, it's much sweeter when they talk about it while they're here because they ain't got to try to use the only thing they feel like they got to their name to impress people, you know, which is being from New York. I don't even remember how we got started here. Oh, yeah, the umbrella. Anyway, that was enough time for me to see that y'all can finally put some questions in and hopefully some of them are worth a damn. Anyway, uh, to your questions. Let me see what we got here. Do we really need 280 characters on Twitter? I don't know if you guys have seen this, but the people at Twitter are running a test with some select accounts that allow you to send tweets that are 280 characters. Now, I feel like in order to discuss this, we need to start with one question. What would we have thought about Twitter if the initial wrinkle of it was you get 280 characters, right? Because we started playing this game with 140 characters. Like that is what we were taught that it was, was 140 characters, right? In the grand scheme, the difference between 140 characters and 280 characters is really not that great, right? That's still like pretty short, pretty sweet. So if we did not have 140 characters as the frame of reference, what would we think about 280? 
And, by the way, if we had started with 280 and then they told us we were going down to 140, how indignant would we be? I feel like the moral of the story on this is that we are ultimately going to develop some level of comfort with 280, and then it is going to go from there. I would also note, by the way, or where I think would be interesting, like what percentage of tweets are 140 characters? Like of the tweets that you wind up sending, how many of them are actually 140 characters? Like how often are you legitimately restricted by having 140 characters. The other thing that I would note is that people have been skirting the 140 character rule for the longest with these screenshots. You know, where they go into their notes on their iPhone and then they type out some damn book, basically, and then they put it up there, right? Like, people have been doing that for a long time. So we could also perhaps look at this and view this question as, this Twitter was actually 140 characters. I bet it never dawned on you that I would turn this into like a, some sort of existential conversation, did it? Because I have to be honest with you. It never dawned on me that shit would happen either. But, yeah, most of y'all ain't using the 140 as it is. Most people don't, like, most people just don't want to communicate in that platform in that way. So, I mean, I guess this is something that they're offering people, and it'll kind of be cool for them to have, I suppose. But I don't think all of a sudden you're going to see a bunch of 280-character tweets. Let me explain something to you. That I feel like you get a decent handle of this with your own timeline, like you as, for lack of a better term, regular person, civilian, however you want to put it. So what that means is you kind of get to do a better job of selecting out the nonsense that you don't want to see. Um, there are certain people who you may know who may consider me to be, what's the word? Um... It famous. There's some people who believe that I am famous. Anyway, as a result, I receive a lot more tweets from the general population than most of you do. And I am here to tell you, those people are not necessarily very interested in being verbose. What worries me, however, is I do feel like the people who like really, really hate me would love an additional 140 characters to slur me. They're like, ooh, I can get double the fun in this, huh? <laughs> Ain't that something? Appreciate the question. By the way, somebody in the chat is asking, what's the ratio of good to bad tweets you receive? I don't know. Like, I've actually had a lot of people, like, people ask percentage-related questions in that way. Um, like, I've, I did a, a thing with Deitch at SI about, like, the political climate on social media or whatever. And he's like, so what percent, you know, what was the percentage of, you know, political tweets you had, you sent before, received before, whatever? What is it on the other side, you know, after that? And I was like, actually, I was not keeping count. I don't really know. The volume is pretty high. I have no idea. I don't know who it is that just asked me for the top five albums of all my top five albums of all time and why. Uh, but uh, Brandon Robinson, here's what I think you ought to do. If that's the question that you want the answer to, why don't you cut me a check? You down to cut me a check? Like what you're asking for is thousands of words. 
But you got five dollars. Do you see this watch? You think you can? You think where you think five dollars is getting you? I love answering your questions. Don't ask stupid questions. Don't appreciate the question. Uh, here we go. Tyler says I'm going to attend Spell House this year. What's the AUC homecoming like? Well, when I was in school, there wasn't no AUC homecoming. We had our homecoming, and they had theirs. I don't know what the hell their homecoming is hitting on now. I do feel like, though, I went to a homecoming in 05 that I think was kind of like the merger to. I think it was like Morehouse and Spellman's homecoming. Um, I don't do that Spellhouse thing. I feel like they're two independent, independent institutions. One of them I like much more than the other. Um I don't know. I don't really be doing what they be doing. Appreciate the question. Let's see what we got here. Hey, Lance, get that Navi dude up out of here. All right. Can we get the bumpy face story? Sure, you can get the bumpy face story. I've told the bumpy face story a few times before, but I have no problem telling the bumpy face story again because a good story is always good. And I imagine because of the transient nation of audiences in these platforms, some of you have never heard my story on the last time I drank bumpy face. Now, I actually have two bumpy face stories. Um, one, ba- one bumpy face story involves bumpy face that I never got to drink. I was 19 years old, and my homeboy's parents were having some little get-together at their crib over off of uh, 2nd Avenue in Decatur, right? And so they told me that we couldn't get in unless we brought a bottle. All right, so uh, I bought a bottle of Bumpy Face, right? So I bought a uh, liquor store on the way in, me and my fake ID. And they had a handle of Bumpy Face for $20, right? And that was before I'd, like, fully come to understand this idea that really um, there there aren't that many, like, goodbyes in alcohol, right? Like, if you're not spending, like, if you're, if you're getting a bottle of alcohol and it is cheap, chances are it is cheap liquor, right? Like, that's what it is. But anyway, I think it was a handle for, like, 20 bucks or something like that. So I got the bottle of Bumpy Face, brought it over, and the next thing I know, somewhere along the way, my homeboy's stepdaddy gets drunk, and he gets mad, and he decides that nobody underage would be allowed to drink. And so basically, I mean, what we're saying here is homie just house my bottle of Bumpy Face, right? Like you told me I couldn't get in without it, and then I get in, and then you tell me I can't drink it, and you like my homeboy's stepdaddy, and I don't, yeah, you know, it was a lot, man. Like, I was just, I was like, man, how that dude going to get me for my bumpy face, right? So anyway, fast forward a couple years. I've just moved to California. I don't really know nobody, but I meet up with some people. They, um, they in the program that I'm in or like, you know, we all in the same school, whatever, right? And so it's me, the dude I was staying with at the time. And we go to this chick's house and like these two other dudes come. So it's me and the dude I was staying with. We was both black and these two Mexican cats come over and we go to like this black woman's house. Right. And we just there. And I mean, before we got there, we made a liquor store run. And I remember we made the liquor store run 
and one of them had picked up some 211 steel reserve. And I had never heard of this. I'd never heard of the steel reserve before. And I look at the can and I see it says 211. I'm like, 211? And he's like, yep, so cheap. It's a steel. And I'm like, ooh, I don't think I want to drink the 211. But we had the bumpy face, right? And so I remember I didn't even really like feel like drinking because I could tell. Like, okay, so it's one thing if you go somewhere and people got drinks, right? It's another thing when everybody makes a liquor store run and then you show up to wherever you're going. Because, see, the problem here is nobody really can claim the alcohol. So chances are it's going to get killed. You see what I'm saying here? Right, so if you got like three people going in and everybody's going in on bottles or whatever it is, yeah, 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 yeah. Chances are people going to drink more than they should because ain't nobody really trying to leave no alcohol because you're probably going to leave the alcohol there. So anyway, I remember we wound up with the bumpy face. And I remember I can't remember what the drink was, uh, what, what I was cutting it with or whatever, but I just remember taking a sip, and I just remember thinking to myself, man, this is not going to end well. Not at all. But I was like, all right, I'm going to do it, right? I mean, I really said to myself, I'm going to drink, and then probably at some point I'm going to throw up. Like, I don't even think I'm going to get drunk. I think I'm just going to throw up. Like, I just don't think it's going to go good. So anyway, again, it's me and a black dude, and then these two Mexican cats. One of the Mexican cats worked at FedEx. That will become relevant later in the story. So the black dude I was with and a Mexican dude who did not work at FedEx wound up getting in some like racially motivated drinking contest right i don't remember anything in particular that the mexican dude said maybe he said he was putting it down for la raza i don't remember anything he said but i do in fact remember what the black dude was saying at different points and one of the things he said to him was oh, okay cuz we gonna do this because they were both like real big into like macho like machismo kind of stuff which isn't really my steez and to be honest it's never really been the steez of that many people that I've been around. Like, one of my best friends is a Q, and I would always remember, like, when I would kick it with them, like, that would be such a big part of it, and that's just not, like, I don't, I'm not really playing that game so much. But these cats were absolutely playing this game. And so they decided they was going blow for blow, and the black dude was like, hey, say, cuz, you know, this ain't just for me. This is for all the homies all around the world. The homies in Madagascar, Nigeria, Somalia, doing it for all the homies. Yeah, that's he, that's what he was doing for the homies in the motherland. Drinking bumpy face. That's what it was. And so we drank that bumpy face. And I don't even remember how much bumpy face everybody drank. I honestly don't remember anything necessarily that positive for the night. But I do know that them cats who got in the drinking contest, that that had gone a little bit too far. And uh, the, the Mexican dude that was, like, really geared up in the drinking contest at some point had dug some cabbage up out of the front yard and threw it into the street. I don't even know why he did that, but he did. And the dude that worked at FedEx, man, he just really wasn't built for this but he tried to go a little too hard so i do remember at one point my stomach gave me a little something like that and i was like look and this is a call sometimes you got to make like i ain't no bulimic or nothing like this but you know how sometimes you just got to make the decision i can i can i can go throw up now or i can wait for the throw up to come and i'm like nope i will more quickly get to where i want to be 
by just going and throwing up. Like, ain't even no light sticking your finger down your throat. It's just like, man, let me get this gin up out of me, right? And so I remember I went in the bathroom. I went and got some of that gin up out of me. And also that way you don't wind up making all that noise, right? Then, oh, oh. Nah, I wasn't one of those, right? So I went ahead and took care of that. I come back out. The Mexican dude that was going hard, he throwing up. Right, he's throwing up like all in the front yard, right? Bumpy face, man. And I think he had that 211. But anyway, he throwing up like all up in the front yard, right? Um, but he's still like coherent, which worked out well because the dude from FedEx, I wasn't paying no attention to him. He apparently tried to drive home. And luckily, it's ironic to call this lucky, but luckily he got to his car. And he opened the front door, and he fell straight forward, passed out, hit his head on the armrest, and was laid out in the street. So then that meant we had to get up out there and get him out of the street because that's enough for a DUI. So me and the Mexican dude, the other Mexican dude, we got him up out of the front yard. So we got him up out of the front yard, and I remember walking back into the house, and I look on the couch, and I see my homie. That I was staying with, and I remember he had worn a white guayabera, right? And he's just thrown up, like, all over it, right? Like, he had throw up in the pocket of the shirt. Ultimately, that shirt had to be thrown away. Like, it was that bad. And he was laid back on the couch. If you listen on podcasts, I'm leaning back. That's why the audio got worse. He was laid back on the couch, and he goes, Hey, cuz... I did it for the homies in Madagascar, cuz. I did it for the homies in Madagascar. And that's the last time I drank Bumpy Face. Me and that dude also had a night where we accidentally killed a fifth of crown in an hour and a half. Right? And... I don't drink anymore. That's why I like particularly why I kind of look back at these stories with a measure of hilarity. But I just remember I asked for some more crown. He poured a little crown in and I'm like, I said, I want us some more crown. It wasn't no more crown left. Like we were not ripped at that point or at the very least, we did not believe ourselves to be ripped at that point. But the moment we realized all the crown was gone, we may as well have been ripped because we realized Yo, it's about to be a wrap. Oh, man, and it was so bad. It was so bad. It was so bad. And we both wound up, the two of us, in this girl's room. And, yeah, we wound up in her room. She liked me. And I really, really, like, soberly wasn't in that direction. But after we have killed this fifth of crown an hour and a half, it's like, hey, what's going on? Well, especially after my homeboy vamped. I don't even remember when he left, but he vamped. And he just left me there with her. And it was just like, oh, okay. And, of course, she was wildly offended. Because keep in mind, I'm ripped and she's not. So she is wildly offended that... um it will require me getting ripped to be there under those circumstances. 
And I am so glad that she was wildly offended. Like, one time for your dignity. That saved me from what would have been a really, really, really bad idea. Anyway, next day I talked to my homeboy. He's like, cuz, I don't even remember how I got home, cuz. I just know I woke up in the morning and my booty muscles were sore. That, however, was not the last time I drank crime. I didn't I didn't have a okay, like I had to quit drinking crime moment. I had to quit drinking. Um, maybe have to. Just seemed like a good idea. Um, but nah, that, that wasn't for some reason that did not make me quit crime. Like that bumpy face night just made me be like, nah, homie. Not doing that anymore. By the way, we are already 34 minutes into this podcast. All I've talked about is umbrellas, uh, New York being expensive, drinking bumpy face. I don't think I've talked about anything else. Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. Thoughts on ankle watches, the newest fashion trend. I'm sorry, Ankle watches? Because when I was a kid, there was only uh, one place you could get an ankle watch. And you know where that was from? Your probation officer. All right, appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Oh, that's all the questions that way. Let me go back the other way. You know, I ain't going to lie. This interface be hard on my processor. I'm like, damn, why is it taking so long? Are you surprised that Trump hasn't attacked rap music yet? Yeah, this is uh, interesting because I mean, you saw this in the New York Times. Um, basically, Trump, um, according to the New York Times, is engaging in a culture war, right? And so the attacks on the NFL are part of a culture war to curry favor with the base. Um, historically, this has been the time to go after rap music or jazz music or whatever it is. You're right. This is absolutely normally the time where that's what you go after, right? Like those are the Negroes that you bring it to are the amoral types. What does it mean that that's not what's happening right now? Right? Like now, is it possible that like Trump too smart to do something stupid like go after Beyonce? You understand what I'm saying? Like maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But if this like if you if you had a Donald Trump like character and you dropped him off 15 years ago, he's coming at rappers first. Because the thing about coming for rappers is it ain't hard to get back up. Like it's a little trickier with athletes, but it ain't hard to get back up on rappers. Like I almost feel like the fact that he hadn't come at rap yet ought to make rappers like feel kind of offended. Like if you the Migos, don't you feel like you should be making the kind of music that the president is offended by? Or at the very least, that the president believes that he can tell his people about, and they'll all of a sudden get mad, right? Yeah, 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 right. He ain't come at YG yet. Aren't you a little surprised he ain't come come at YG yet? But also, part of this is these rappers right now ain't making that revolution music. Yeah, like YG at his joint, okay, whatever. But uh, I have been one thing that I would have expected to have emerged from these times is that you would get today's public enemy, right? And maybe the space is just. Maybe the space just doesn't allow for that anymore. But I would think that there would have been some sort of like hardcore on the ground 
more black radical movement. I don't think I count public enemy as actually truly being radical, but I would think that there would be a more on the ground black radical movement in the music space than there is right now. And it's very interesting that it does not exist, especially because like, yo, man, you know, black folks ain't really so like cool right now. A little upset in a few different ways. You know, so like I am a bit surprised that that is not being reflected by the music. But one thing about rap, at least in this time period, is that there is a level of anger and urgency that was once hallmarked to the music that just doesn't exist anymore. For whatever reason. Appreciate the question. See what else we got here. Thoughts on Rhapsody's new album. So I have given Rhapsody's new album a couple of runs. Now, I think I've always thought that she can like really, really rap. And I like Ninth Wonder's beats and I'm, I'm cool with him, right? Like I like him. The one thing though that I always worried about with her was I didn't feel like the music was necessarily that much fun. And I would like, like I either want to enjoy this music or have this music like really move me, but I'm not really so much. I don't listen to music. I don't listen to rap anymore to simply marvel at the talent of the rapper. Right. Like I don't, that's not really what I need. I need some level. It's like, I need to be evocative in some way to like take me in that place, whatever it is, but just like, I would like to be blown away by how well you can rap, but that's not really enough. And I kind of felt a quality in some of her previous stuff where I didn't really feel like, like it didn't give me a feeling. She was objectively really good at rapping, but it didn't really give me a feeling. I like this album a lot. Like, I think it's more fun. I think it shows a little more personality, got some more wiggle to it. And knife got beats, man. Um, I don't know if anybody has better drums right now than him and his crew. His drums still feel like something. Christ's drums still feel like something. That whole crew still got drums that feel like something. They still got drums that swing, and it is so hard to find people with drums that swing. And I'm telling you, when you get to a record that has drums that swing, you'd be really like, oh, my gosh, like, this really has been missing. Like, that was part of Malibu by Pack that really struck me is it wasn't long before I got in that and was like, yo, this is swinging. Right. So like I feel like Malibu is very heavily influenced by an album that I don't love, but an album that swings in a way that I can appreciate, which is Voodoo by D'Angelo. Right. Like I do not love Voodoo by any stretch of the imagination, mostly because I can't understand what that mushmouth dude is saying. But you like you listen to Malibu. It's a lot of Voodoo. Right. But that bad boy swings. Anyway, this Rhapsody album got some swing to it. I appreciate that. Appreciate the question. Hey, Lance, tell your brother to chill out with this you crazy talk. Uh, somebody asked what I think about the No Worries joint. I mean, it was cool. It was a mixtape. Right? Like, it's a mixtape. Like, I didn't, expect, I didn't expect that to come out and be Malibu. Um, it's got some moments, you know. Uh, it's got a vibe to it, I suppose. Um, H-A-N is hilarious. I can totally relate. Cats be trying to hit me with mixtapes. I can't imagine what it's like for him. Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. What are some of the ways you approach what's next? Is it more a bucket list or bullet journal? I don't really think it's either one for me. Stuff just comes up. Like, I mean, for me, I can't speak to nobody else, but for me, um, with the exception of this uh, most recent move that I've made, 
I have never really had any agency over what was going to happen to me next, right? Lose a job, find another one. <laughs> I mean, really, that's what it's been. Flog out of school, figure out what you're going to do there, right? So, like, with school stuff, it was actually fairly ordered. Even though I got out of college, I didn't know what I was going to do. Then all of a sudden, I needed something to do. The grad program jumped up. Okay, I guess I'll do that. It wasn't like I was searching around. Then after that, I was like, okay, PhD program. That's the next thing to do. And so, uh, do the PhD program. All right, then that doesn't work. And I just kind of got in what it was, but it's never, I don't really have long run vision, um, in that way. Like, I'm not a religious type, but it's the thing people say, man plans, God laughs. I guess I kind of subscribe to that to a degree. So I'm prepared for whatever it is that happens to jump up, what happens to come around next, right? So like for me, I guess for right now, I do have a what's next for me. What's next is that television show. And it's going to be a matter of figuring out what that television show is going to be. I ain't, you know, I ain't really working on that right now, but you know, like that's going to come. That's going to be the next thing. And then once I'm in it, there ain't been a whole lot of things that I've, like just about every gig that I've been in has felt like in its own way, like a destination sort of job. So, like, if you think about this, uh, when I started doing the radio in Raleigh, I didn't have no time to start thinking, like, past being on the radio in Raleigh. How could I? I just started doing it. Like, I was a lot better at it, a lot faster than I think that anybody expected. But I just started doing it. There wasn't no real ahead to start thinking. Then it was gone. And then I was doing the job on Sirius, and I loved that job, right? I mean, it was a national gig. Um, by the time I was done, I was making really good money. There really wasn't anything better I could get, and I had the, the ESPN platform by then. Okay, cool. So it's like, what's next? So I can say right then, what's next? What's next should be a television show. But ain't like I got. I think like I just get to walk in. Hey guys, uh, let me get one of those television shows. <laughs> right? Like it didn't work that way. And so anyway, I wasn't even at a place where I'd have been ready for a television show by then anyway. But then that station went out of business, and the SB Nation thing came up. And I was like, boom. Okay, I'm gonna do this. And I thought I was going to be there for a while. I was only there for a year. And it was no beef. It just worked out best. And then everything like went to the TV show thing or everything else. But, I mean, all right, let's think about this for a second for me. Uh, I'm, going to have a t- I'm going to be on a TV show soon. I've got the radio show that I do. I got a certain level of respect that I command in these streets for different opinions and stuff like that. Like, what is next from that? It's like, seriously, like, you know, like, like getting, having a TV show, you know, that's something people grind to get to. Like, this is destination type stuff. I'm 37 years old. Like, that's it. I'm 37 years old. There's a whole lot more life and stuff to do. Like, what's next? I have no idea. You know? And so I don't know if it's different for people who work in different sorts of lines of work where you can like stack it up, stack it up, stack it up. Um, and then you get to where you're going. I don't have that. I just don't. So I'm doing the stuff that I'm doing right now. At some point, that'll probably change. And then when it changes, I'll probably go out there, see what it is, and then go from there. I don't know. But I've never been one about goals. That's just not that's not how I order my situation. And perhaps some of it is a degree of arrogance. that I just feel like if I get on my grind and do what I do, there will be something. It'll be cool, and I'll be able to turn it into something else. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. With all his talent and all his haters, is Keith Oberman the Kanye West of television news? Yes. I had never thought about it in that way until you said it right there. But I feel pretty confident saying the answer is yes. 
I'm always fascinated by the idea of what clubs were like when certain songs were hot. So I'm curious. Any interesting club stories for when the songs hot in here in the club were new and rocking? So, like, hot in here ain't never really been, like, my kind of jam. And, see, in the club, like, in the club jump, like, I mean, that was, that was, that was a banger. But you have to understand something, okay? I'm from Houston, right? So, like, you talking to me, and I went to college in Atlanta. Note that also. So, you talking to me about, like, hot and hearing in the club. Nah, nah, nah. You asking me about the wrong songs. Like, ask me about tear the club up. I tell you what it was like when that bad boy dropped. Ask me about get low. I tell you about when that bad boy dropped. Like those were the ones, like like those kind of joints. Damn, by the young bloods. Oh yeah, you want to talk about something jamming when it came out? Oh yeah, like like we can go there, you know. So like these joints that was just hot on the radio and you like that, it's like oh that's my favorite song. No nah, man, we was in a different level. Like ninety seven to oh three, everybody like back that ass up when that dropped. That dropped when I was in college, bro. That's the one. Put your hood up and bounce at midnight on the stage. Oh, yeah. That was the one. Like, yeah. So, like, when you talk to me, those are the ones that, that's just like, oh, okay. That's what it was. Because it was. That was club music that wasn't meant for you to look cute to it. That was meant for work. Appreciate the question. I think I'm going to take one more. Thoughts on Cardi B, Bodak Yellow being number one on the Billboard Top 100. Okay, so here's one thing about me with Cardi B. I don't watch any of those television shows, so I really don't be thinking about, like, like okay, like anybody could have done Bodak Yellow, and I'd be like, okay, that's the jam, right? Like, and it absolutely is the jam, and it is also very interesting to see the way that Bodak Yellow hits women. Like, I mean... I feel like Bodak Yellow was kind of one of those where it ain't really meant for me to relate to. Like, I can, but, like, for me, it's just jamming. I see the way it hits women that are into it, and it's, like, empowering, right? And so then there's the next level of it that she used to be a shake dancer, and now she done got herself to a place where she got the number one jam on the charts, and that's, like, she's singing her song, right? Like, that's what that really comes down to. Everybody got their own song. She's singing her song. Right. And so I feel like that for a lot of people, it resonates with them in a way where I'm not the best person to answer, like what the meaning is of her being there. I think what she's the second uh, female rapper to go number one on Billboard. Like, obviously, that's a big thing. Right. Like, there's certainly that. Um, But. I mean, I also feel like this is one of these horrible thoughts questions that I fucking hate. And I don't blame you for not knowing that I hate them necessarily. But it's thoughts. You can do better than that. Um, Anyway, but it's a jam, right? So I'm not terribly surprised that a jam went to number one. All right, one more question. Can you bring back the shoe collection? All right, I'll tell you what the story is on that. So in my last house, the shoes were set up in the office, but the office was a little bit more spacious than my situation is here now and had longer walls. So it's set up for a better shot behind me. Uh, the other part is that office, uh, I got to do some rearranging to get it like the kind of what I want it to be in order to make it a proper backdrop. So instead, I'm on my little dining room table. It's got the drapes behind me. So, yeah, at some point, 
going to try to bring that display back. Um, but as of now, I just don't feel like all the work that it takes. You get what you pay for, my dude. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. Uh, by the way, okay, I'll stop here. Somebody asked, do I have a view of the city? I have a view of the city from upstairs. I ain't going on the roof, and I got a view of the city. From down here, I got a view of the building across the street. So I have a view for like another couple of months is basically uh, the best way that I can describe that. And the view I got from up there, it ain't bad, man. I can see the downtown skyline. I can see some bridges. I got some 360 situation. It ain't so bad. It ain't so bad. I never let you, I never got to stunt that full Miami view for you from the last place. My bad. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. Uh, we try to do this every week. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember, if you cannot watch the Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe at the iTunes Store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. We're also at the Google Play Store. I will try to talk to you guys next week. Take it easy.